You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm your host, Mark Brisley. Obviously, it's been a tumultuous start for market conditions in 2022, with tensions escalating geopolitically, continued havoc in global supply chains, and of course, inflation and rising rates. Over the long term, we know these issues will subside. But in conditions that have not been seen in succession in close to a generation, many investors are asking, will rampant inflation drive a deceleration in business and consumer spending? And should we worry about negative repercussions for corporate revenue and profit growth? And should I be favoring one investment style over another, like value over growth or vice versa? The questions of investing style really depends on many factors since each style can perform better in different economic climates. So as markets continue to grapple with volatility, a key area investors are turning to, and we believe should continue to think about, is sustainable quality growth. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by portfolio manager, Michelle Patel who has over 17 years of industry experience in managing North American growth-oriented equities. Michelle employs deep fundamental analysis to select best-in-class, sustainable growth companies run by strong business leaders and management teams that demonstrate sound capital allocation disciplines. Michelle, it's great, as always, to have you on another edition of On The Money. I wanted to jump right in and go back to the comment I made in the opening about investors thinking about value and growth and the messaging that's out there right now. You're a growth manager. So what's that mean in terms of your approach to managing client money? Yeah, you know, different styles of management and when they work in the cycle is extremely important. For myself, uh, you know, we deploy a strategy of quality growth. And so what does quality growth mean? We like companies that grow over time, uh, but they don't need to grow you know, 20, 30, 40% a year. We're happy with companies that can grow their top line 5% plus every year, but they have to be durable. They have to be sustainable. They need to be able to do that for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, the idea here isn't just, you know, keep growing, grow, 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 top line growth and never make any money. And one of the things that we've seen over the last 18, you know, maybe even 24 months You know, there were a lot of companies that went public and generated a lot of sales traction, but never had profitable growth. There were a lot of SPACs. There was a lot of speculative excess and small caps. So this idea of just growing for the sake of growing, using capital markets to grow, some financial engineering, um, you know, that's not our style. Our style is quality growth. And what quality growth means to us is companies that actually earn uh, a return on capital, companies that can actually grow over a long period of time. Uh, companies with great strong management teams and brands. Uh, And you started off with this notion of inflation and rotation of value and growth. But one of the big things that we look for in the companies that we invest in is this idea of pricing power. So uh, we like companies that can price their products and services and the ability to uh, raise prices uh, in an inflationary environment. And so that's one of the key characteristics that we would actually look for in a company that's uh, high quality growth is the ability to raise prices. So investors are being bombarded right now with information about recent market volatility, tensions globally that are causing some of this volatility, but also market conditions have been created from us coming through what would be considered a recovery period and out of a global pandemic. 
what are your thoughts on what seems to be the continuous stories that we're seeing in the markets? And why do you think investors need to be concerned about you know the specificity of adding something like a long-term sustainable growth strategy right now? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Look, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, the big idea here is that the stock market does climb the wall of worry. And it all started, you know, mainly year to date, if you think about this, this rotation you're speaking of, this volatility, you know, the VIX, uh, the VIX is a, is a volatility index. Uh, it usually averages around, you know, 15. You know, this year it spiked all the way up to, you know, 37%. And now it's down uh, closer to 20. So volatility has come down. But the question you need to ask is, why do we have so much volatility and why have we had so much volatility year to date? Uh, I believe it's one of the most volatile periods, uh, you know, for over a decade. Um, and so what's causing it? You know, you got this war, uh, so we should definitely touch on uh, the idea of war, military conflicts, you know, potential for recession. You know, let's not shy away from the R word. Oil shock, you know, everyone's feeling that at the, at the fuel pump. Uh, you know, you're, you just talked about the pandemic. Um, you know, there's a lot of macro, macro uncertainty. And, you know, where we are in the economic cycle, you know, are we actually late cycle and potentially hitting a, a recession? These are all things uh, to consider. It's one of the reasons why we've had so much volatility. It's one of the reasons why uh, stock markets uh, year to date, you know, are down. A lot of uh, st- individual companies uh, are down. You know, we didn't even talk about, you know, what we're seeing in fixed income markets. But, you know, fixed income, you would think is an area where, you know, you have protection of capital, but, you know, with rising interest rates, uh, clients have lost money in fixed income for the first time in a long period of time. So definitely a lot, a lot of volatility. Uh, But I've always viewed this volatility as opportunity. And the reason I say that is this ability to think long term. It's very hard uh, to think long term. It's very hard to look out five years, 10 years, 15 years. So earlier when we talked about quality, we talked about quality growth, we talked about durability, sustainability, you know, these good things only work if you're willing to look out 5, 10, 15 years. And so one of the things I always do is step back. You know, I love Warren Buffett, uh, anyone that knows me. Uh, you know, I've gone to the annual meeting for over 10 years. I'm looking forward uh, to going at the end of next month. But there's a quote I want to share uh, with everyone listening today, and it's very timely, and it gives you a sense of why I believe all this volatility uh, equals opportunity, why I think it's a great time to deploy capital. Uh, and I'm hopeful that you find this quote as helpful as I do, and I, and I try to refer to it anytime that the VIX spikes. In the 20th century, the United States endured two world wars and other traumatic and expensive military conflicts. The Depression, a dozen or so recessions and financial panics, oil shocks, a flu epidemic, and the resignation of a disgraced president. Yet, the Dow rose from 66 to 11,497. So just step back and think about that. Military conflict, depression, recession, flu, oil shock, financial panic. Sounds like all the things that we're reading about in the newspaper these days. Uh, But look, the stock market has gone from 66 to 11,497. I believe this was from the 2015 or 2017 uh, annual letter to shareholders. But this is why I'm optimistic on the long term. This is why I believe it's a good time to deploy capital. And this is why this notion of, uh, you know, time in the market, it's not timing the market. Um, You know, we love the idea of dynamic funds of invest with advice. So, you know, working with your financial advisor, uh, sticking to your financial plan, you know, not making those big macro calls. Uh, and focusing on the fundamentals. And so I do like this idea of dollar cost averaging in the market. 
Uh, it's what I recommend uh, to friends and family. Uh, but this long-term idea of accumulating ownership in a, in a business and thinking long-term um, is something that's important, especially uh, given all the volatility that we see in the marketplace today. Yeah. And, you know, if we rewind the clock to, you know, later in 2021, the case for growth or the bull case for growth was really stemming from a world that was going to be emerging from a pandemic, good economic growth, moderate inflation, gradually rising rates. But we've seen like, you know, deviations on all of those things, you know, playing out the way we're currently witnessing on top of having this, this geopolitical crisis on top. So when we think of people that are saying investing styles favoring one or the other, it's hard to do right now, isn't it? It's hard to reconcile. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, especially when you talk about style and, you know, we didn't touch on value. Um, but, you know, one of the characteristics of that value basket uh, is this notion of financials, energy, materials. And one thing that we have seen, um, you know, one of the areas that's actually really benefited, um, you know, whether it's with rising rates or with the war, you know, Russia produces a significant amount of, of commodities, you know, especially with Ukraine as well, you know, whether it's wheat, oil, uh, sunflower seed, um, you know, the list goes on and on. And, you know, we've seen it. If you, if you look at potash prices, they're through the roof. Oil prices are through the roof. Nickel price, you know, nickel, palladium, platinum. Um, so we've seen a substantial amount of and price moves that we haven't seen. You know, we're talking about 50, 100, 200 percent uh, increases. You know, that those kind of shocks uh, is why, you know, one of the reasons why we're seeing, you know, VIX go up. One of the reasons why, you know, companies, you know, this is input costs uh, for all of these companies. So, you know, say you have this high quality growth business um, that over time prices uh, well and can raise prices. But in the short term, you know, if you have all of these input costs, if you have all these commodity cost inflation, you know, it becomes very hard to manage in the short term. But this is why I keep going back to this notion of longer term. If you have the ability to raise prices, pass it along, uh, you know, there's opportunity. And, you know, going back to your first first question, you know, you talked about value, growth, the rotation. You know, it's good to have a good blend. You know, I'm not here just saying that, you know, all you need to own is high quality growth and it works, you know, uh, three out of the four parts of the economic cycle. Um, you know, it's important to have a, a good balanced portfolio of, uh, you know, different styles. And, you know, that's the beauty of dynamic funds. You know, in, in a way, the market <laughs> uh, exists within the firm. You know, I believe we have great uh, value product. We have great growth product. We have great uh, dividend product. Um, so, uh, you know, it's up to the, the client and their advisor to determine what's right for them. Uh, for me, uh, I could focus and talk about uh, what I do, uh, but having that balanced approach is important as well. So you've mentioned a couple of times quality growth companies, but also this overlay of sustainable quality growth company. What do you mean by that? So one way to think about sustainable, and I'll link it up uh, with, you know, we're talking about commodities and things of that sort. But, you know, I'll start with what's not sustainable. So if you recall, um, you know, there used to be uh, VHS tapes. Then, uh, you know, VHS tapes, I think we went into like uh, DVDs. And then now we're streaming. So, you know, you're always on this treadmill and there's always version 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 and technologies uh, changing. And so you have no idea what the next new technology is going to be 5, 10, 15 years from now. Um, so what does sustainable mean to me? What does durable mean to me? Um, you know, paint is an example of something like that. You know, a can of paint is a can of paint is a can of paint. Paint hasn't changed uh, in, you know, a lot, very long period of time. Um, you know, maybe you might consider wallpaper, um, but, you know, when you invest in paint, uh, you know, I believe something like paint is something that's going to be around for a long, long period of time. You know, another idea uh, similar to this idea of what is long-term sustainable, uh, you know, we all have two feet, uh, you know, so we're all going to need shoes. Uh, you know, so if you invest in a shoe company, 
as long as we're going to have two feet, uh, you know, you're going to need shoes. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, what we're thinking about when we're thinking about long-term sustainable durable companies. You know, it could be a shoe company, um, you know, or it could be a paint company. But those are some of the areas where we believe uh, you can have a long-term sustainable growth as where, you know, maybe what we saw over the last 12, 24 months, and we've seen a huge correction in that area of the market, you know, this idea of, hey, we got a new technology, hey, we're going to change the world, hey, we got a new delivery system, and, um, you know, the valuations for some of these companies went crazy, but they never really made any money. You know, that is not uh, what we think about and how we think about uh, high quality growth and sustainability. I wanted to ask you a little bit too about, you know, the importance you've always put on, you know, once you've found these companies and once you've become an investor in these companies, the importance of consistency in performance. And, you know, you act as a, a fiduciary with the responsibility for, for client capital and you take that very seriously. So how do you calibrate your portfolio so that an investor can own them throughout a full market cycle, which, you know, right now is uh, something that I'm sure a lot of people find difficult. So, you know, the way to think about portfolio construction, and, you know, I do think about portfolio construction as an art form. So earlier I mentioned this idea of paint, you know, so you can have a paint company. I mentioned shoes, so you can have a shoes company. So, you know, this idea of materials, consumer discretionary, but, you know, there's other areas and sectors in the market. So, you know, the idea isn't just, uh, you know, being 100% in technology or being 100% in materials, you know, having a good overall uh, sector and broad sector, you know, I try to be in at least seven out of the 11 sectors in the marketplace. So, you know, there's a lot of good financial services companies to invest in. There's good technology companies to invest in. But then, um, you know, you talk about through the cycle. So one of the ways to do through the cycle is also look at the end markets, look at the geographical exposure, um, and then, you know, look at things that we want versus things that we need. And I think when we did the small cap podcast, you know, we talked about the difference between consumer discretionary and consumer staples and, you know, we're all going to need to eat. Um, and, you know, if you have some consumer staples companies, uh, you know, whether it's a food company or, you know, a lot of people have been going to big box stores. Um, so, you know, this idea of a high quality portfolio that's diversified by different sectors and end markets and geographies, you know, that's the, the art piece and weighing those correctly. Uh, and the same thing, you know, if we're investing in technology, it's not about just having everything in software. You know, we could have software, you can invest in semiconductors, you can diversify by investing in payment companies, which are actually now, uh, it's interesting because the GIG characteristics, uh, GIGs is like the global classification of sectors. Um, you know, Visa and MasterCard used to be considered technology companies, but starting next month, they're actually going to be in the financials index. So this idea of having broad sector exposure uh, is one of the ways how we can uh, balance out the portfolio, round out the portfolio, uh, and hopefully that should provide uh, a smoother ride from a high quality growth perspective. Let's talk about the big eye inflations on everybody's minds. And, you know, I think you and I would agree, Vishal, that this is not a transitory period. We, we are experiencing real inflation right now and it's impacting Canadian households. How does inflation though impact your thinking as an investor when it comes to selecting which businesses you want to own in your portfolios? Yeah, inflation is a huge topic. And, and, you know, if we want to step back, you know, I've always viewed, you know, we talked about fiduciary and, and, and how important it is to be a fiduciary and, you know, the billions that we have uh, fiduciary client capital. But I've always viewed that, you know, when you take capital right now, you're essentially delaying purchasing power now to have more purchasing power in the future, right? That's one way to look at investing. So, you know, if you have $100 right now, you're making a case that by deferring that $100, you know, purchasing uh business and you know a share can be viewed as a as a portion of a business 
you know, the idea is that you should have more purchasing power in the future and you'll be able to sell that business for higher. So I've always viewed that as, as, as one of my primary jobs is to help, um, you know, clients uh, protect against inflation. And, you know, I started off with this Warren Buffett quote and, you know, he's always talked about inflation for a long period of time, whether 70s, 80s. And look, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. Inflation has always been present. Uh, I remember the chairman of our, uh, you know, the chairman of Dynamic Funds, Ned Goodman, he used to always talk about inflation and shadow statistics. But the way we think about inflation, you know, there's three people I respect tremendously in this business. You know, we mentioned Ned Goodman. You know, Ned was always inflation, 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 buy gold. You know, uh, Prem Watsa is somebody I haven't talked about uh, in the past, but, you know, Prem uh, was always about deflation, 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 uh, buy bonds. And then, you know, Warren Buffett, um, you know, who's my teacher and has taught me pretty much everything I know in this business, you know, his idea, and, you know, that's the idea that we're conveying here today. You know, if you own a high quality business and that high quality business has pricing power, you know, that's where you want to be. And that's how you're going to compound wealth over time. And so you need to find this business that's going to be able to price. Not every business can price. Um, you know, there's a lot of businesses that actually over time cut prices. So we need to find businesses that can raise prices. And the way you do that is by having a very strong brand, by providing a product and service that the customer wants. And one of the ways that you can actually judge pricing and pricing power is, you know, again, ask yourself, you know, is this something that you would actually pay more for, right? So I'll use the example of Nike shoes. You know, are you actually going to pay, if a Nike shoe goes from $100 to $120, are you going to pay $120? Are you going to pay $140? You know, would you actually, for a special shoe, uh, pay 200. Uh, are those $200 shoes going to become $300? You know, these are the types of questions you need to ask, you know, what are the brands that can actually raise prices? You know, Apple, another ex excellent example. Um, you know, I just got an iPhone 13. I think it cost $1,600. I remember when iPhones were $1,000. So, you know, the iPhone's gone from like $1,000 to $1,200 to $1,600. I believe iPods have gone from like $200 to $300 to $400. So over time, I believe there's inflation, you know, there's inflation in food, there's inflation in energy, there's inflation in housing, there's inflation, you know, everywhere I can see it. Uh, but I believe that the best way uh, that uh, you can protect yourself on that is by owning a great business and by owning a great business that can raise prices over time because you're providing a good or service uh, that's in demand, uh, that's in need, and uh, that you're going to want in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, thinking about where we are right now, what would be an example of a business like that that you're positive on? Yeah, you know, so look, I mentioned, uh, you know, what we're seeing in terms of uh, devices and what we're seeing in terms of paint. But, you know, paint is an example of something that won't be immediately be able to, to pass it on. So I would say, um, you know, there's examples of businesses like this where there's a, there's, a, there's a transitory effect. You know, transitory is probably a new word everybody learned uh, when we talk about inflation. But, you know, there's certain businesses that you can't have the price through direct. Yeah. You know, it takes a little bit of time. Uh, if you think about a can of paint, you know, you have oil prices as an input. You have resin prices. Um, you know, the can of paint is actually made with steel and steel prices have quadrupled. Um, then you have the paper around. So, you know, here's an example of a great high quality business. You know, I just mentioned paint's going to be around for a long period of time. But in the short term, uh, a business like that will take a hit. Margins will come down. Uh, but over time, uh, you know, you can slowly pass along prices. So this ability to pass along prices and raise prices and find that quality, um, it's not mark to market always. It's not instantaneous. Some businesses it is, uh, but there are some businesses uh, where it takes a little bit of time. Um, 
The other area where you find these kind of businesses is this notion of monopolies, duopolies, and oligopolies. If there's nobody else doing what you need or want, you sort of have no other choice. Um, you know, it sounds anti-competitive, but you know, investing in monopolies, duopolies, and oligopolies over time uh, has been a good strategy. But if you can find uh, those areas of the market um, where there isn't a lot of competition, uh, that would also be a good area to invest longer term uh, with these companies that uh, can over time uh, raise prices. And you know, railroads is an example of that. You know, you wanted one more idea. Um, you know, I would say railroads. You know, there's only so many railroads. If you want to move anything, we're talking about. Um, you know, railroads move oil, railroads move uh, wheat, railroads move potash, railroads move, move all of these commodities. Uh, so overall, you know, you're not recreating railroads. Um, you know, we just talked about oil price. So, you know, if you're going to move something by truck versus rail, it's cheaper by rail. So, you know, railroads historically have been one of the best places uh, when you think about pricing, pricing power. Historically, a railroad has been able to uh, raise prices by, you know, at least three to four percent every year. Um, and, you know, I don't need to, you know, railroads have been around for hundreds of years. Michelle, another area that I think a lot of investors would be hearing about right now is the term economic cycle. And I think we maybe over assume that investors understand what an average economic cycle looks like. And, you know, probably since around 1950, that's been between five and six years. Has that remained the case in recent times? And where are we now, would you say, in the economic cycle? Yeah, economic cycle is something we definitely spend time thinking about. Uh, earlier, when we talked about portfolio construction and the art of portfolio construction, it's important to know where we are in the economic cycle, where we're heading, uh, especially when you're trying to calibrate that portfolio uh, to succeed through the cycle. And look, you're right. Uh, you know, there's been short cycles, there's been long cycles. Uh, the case can be made that, you know, we had one of the longest economic cycles, 10 years. Uh, last cycle. So the question now, and, you know, one of the working theses is that's possible is, you know, could this now be one of the shortest cycles? And have we actually gone very quickly from a COVID recovery, early cycle, bounce back, mid cycle? And are we in, actually in the late cycle now, especially with the Fed raising rates, you know, with this oil shock, you know, could we actually be heading into a recession? So, you know, there's a couple of ways uh, to think about this. And, you know, economists forecast not because they know, but because they're asked. That's one of my favorite John Kenneth Galbraith quotes. Uh, but I would say that there's a couple of different ways this can actually play out. So, look, there's four parts to an economic cycle. You know, the first is the early cycle. The second is the mid-cycle. The third is late cycle. And the last is this idea of recession. And, you know, the definition of a recession, um, you know, to make things basic is, you know, two negative uh, quarters of GDP growth. And historically, you never actually know where you are in the cycle until the data comes out. So there's a lot of economists out there and everyone's always trying to figure out, um, you know, where we are and you only know after the fact. So right now, you know, there's a couple of things that can play out. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why we're seeing so much volatility, why we're seeing so much uh, rotation, why we're seeing, you know, the VIX go all the way up to 36 is, you know, there is a potential uh, scenario of a recession, right? So if we had a recession, you know, asset classes, including all stocks, would go down uh, and they would go down meaningfully. Uh, but there's other scenarios that can actually be uh, playing out. You know, maybe we're in the late cycle and, you know, the late cycle can be for a couple of years or, you know, the rosiest scenario that can play out, you know, this idea of a soft landing, you know, everything we've seen, uh, you know, is maybe uh, geopolitical in nature. Um, you know, maybe some of this inflation is transitory. You know, you're seeing some used car prices come down. And so do you have this idea that this is a mid-cycle correction and then you could expand this economic cycle? 
So it's going to be interesting to watch um, and how it plays out. But, you know, there's a couple of different ways. You know, are we actually going to have a recession? Are we actually going to be in the late cycle for a little bit? Or, you know, the best scenario would be, uh, you know, if the Fed can, uh, you know, work their magic and, um, you know, maybe we can have uh, this idea of a mid-cycle correction and recovery and extend the cycle. Because uh, if we hit recession right now, you know, this could be considered one of the shortest uh, economic cycles, which is possible. But, you know, whether we have scenario A, B, C, or D, um, you know, this is why I like this idea of high-quality growth businesses and everything we do. Um, high-quality growth historically has worked uh, in three of the four parts of the economic cycle. It doesn't work all the time, uh, and you don't know the number of months or years that each part is going to be. Um, but why do I like this idea of high-quality? Because, A, I just said nobody actually knows exactly how it's going to play out. So what we try to do and where we spend a lot of time, and we haven't talked about that yet, is this notion of management and investing with entrepreneurs and founder-led businesses and having this high-quality product and allocating capital well. So for us, you know, irrespective of the economic scenario, irrespective of how interest rates play out, irrespective of the amount of inflation we're going to see out there, you know, you need to have that management team, that company, that culture, that executive team, um, you know, that's going to be able to manage through these different economic scenarios, that's going to be able to calibrate the business. And specifically, you know, if you do have, you know, worst case scenarios, you know, these great strong management teams and leadership teams, you know, they're going to use the economic down uh, to recalibrate the business, but potentially even allocate capital and, you know, take out maybe a weaker competitor, gain market share. And we saw that during COVID, you know, some of the stronger companies. So this goes back, you know, a high quality growth business also has a strong balance sheet. So, you know, can you actually use your strong balance sheet to take out some of your weaker competitors when you have economic crises or, you know, maybe there's somebody that's got too much debt out there. Um, so I would say, you know, this goes back, why do I think opportunity? Why do I think longer term? Look, capitalism works. Um, and, you know, this idea of owning a business and a business that can grow uh, and if it can grow irrespective of the economic cycle, and there are businesses that can grow irrespective of the economic cycle, you know, say you have one store and it goes to five stores and then 10 stores, you know, a company like that, or, you know, you have a product or a service and you go from 5% market share to 10% to 20% um, and you become the leader um, in that product or service. Um, that's where my job comes in is to find those kind of opportunities because they do exist and there's some great leadership teams and management teams that are very capable of managing uh, through the cycle. One of the more interesting topics I've heard you talk about, toilet paper economics. Um, what do you mean by that? If you recall, uh, during the pandemic, everyone was going out and buying toilet paper. But, you know, and, you know, it wasn't just toilet paper. It was toilet paper. It was bleach. It was hand sanitizer. But when you look at all of these categories, it's not that, you know, you were going to the bathroom twice as much. All you did was pantry load um, and you saw a huge demand spike uh, for these products and services, these companies and stocks uh, did extremely well, but they did well for a very short period of time. You know, vaccine companies is also an example of something like this. And so, you know, you have this, what do you call the COVID beneficiary basket uh, is maybe the Wall Street uh, lingo. And now you've seen that some of those businesses are not long-term, sustainable, durable. Everything we're talking about today is sustainable, durable growth. And, you know, what we've noticed and witnessed is toilet paper is not sustainable, it's not durable, it doesn't have a lot of growth. You know, the same thing with areas like bleach. So when we're looking for these companies um, that can compound wealth and create wealth uh, for unit holders longer term, we're looking for areas that you have long-term sustainable durable growth. 
And so we don't like this idea of toilet papers, but you know, there are other areas in the market where there are shortages. You're reading about it in the newspaper, but it's a long-term sustainable durable um, demand outlook. And an idea uh, that we have there, and what I share is this notion of semiconductors. So if you look at semiconductor demand, you know, whether it's in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2000, you know, every year semiconductor demand year over year continues to rise. You know, you're seeing more and more semiconductors, whether it's being used, um, you know, in your iPhone, you know, there's always the newer and newer version of the chip, you know, whether it's being used in your home, um, whether it's being used, uh, you know, whether it's Internet of Things, data centers, autonomous vehicles, gaming, you know, the amount of chips and the need for chips and better and better chips uh, is tremendous. And if you saw uh, Biden's speech, you know, this idea of passing the chip back is uh, extremely important. Uh, you know, the U.S. does want to produce uh, their own chips. And, you know, so you're going to see uh, some fabrication facilities built in the U.S. And the reason for that is, you know, not only do you want to be not just reliant on Taiwan, but, uh, you know, if you can have semiconductor manufacturing in the United States and you've got some great semiconductor companies, but the need for semiconductors is continuing to rise year in, year out. Look, recession, no recession, doesn't matter where we are going to be in the economic outlook. You know, one thing I'm willing to, you know, say in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years is we're going to need more and more semiconductors. We're going to have more and more chips and we're going to have more and more chips, whether it's in our cars or our computers. And, you know, I think one of the new things you always hear is, you know, data is the new oil. But if you need to process all of this data, you're going to need more and more chips. Uh, but I'm not sure we're going to be going to the bathroom twice as much. And so that's Toilet Paper Economics 101. Vishal, just wrapping up everything we've been talking about, what are some of the areas as, as you're looking forward, uh, you know, not just for opportunity, but, you know, even uh, within your own portfolios that has you excited or that, you know, are of interest that you think are going to give you good opportunities in, in the uh, year ahead? Yeah, look, you know, this is, you know, the, the notion today, you know, deploy capital, look for those longer term opportunities, dollar cost average, it's time in the market, not timing the market. So look, there's substantial opportunities. And, you know, I do believe that when the VIX rises, you know, that creates that volatility. It's hard to do, right? Uh, everyone's panicking. Everyone's selling. They think the world's coming to an end. There's a war going on. Uh, there's shocks. Um, so how do you actually deploy capital, you know, with all of that going on? The way that you're able to deploy capital with, with all this macro uncertainty uh, is this idea that I keep going back to is, is longer term. And what are the areas where you can invest long term, where capitalism works, where compounding works, where you can own a piece of a business and it'll do well. You know, we just mentioned, you know, the long-term outlook for semiconductors looks very attractive, whether it's on a five-year basis, a 10-year basis, or a 15-year basis. You know, the other area um, where we believe that there's significant opportunity, look, there's an aging population. Uh, the population is getting older. And as the population gets older, um, you know, healthcare and the need for healthcare uh, is an important area. Uh, drug drug pricing is a cautious area, but I would say uh, medical devices, um, you know, if you want robotic surgery, minimally invasive. So, you know, if there's a product or service uh, that will cause you to go to the hospital less or stay at the hospital less, if there's a product or service, uh, you know, that can cause you to heal uh, as you age, uh, you know, those are the areas where we see opportunity. So I would say healthcare uh, remains a long-term uh, area as the semiconductors and technology but going back to this, you know, deploy capital, I think deploying capital is the opportunity. Uh, and and it's, it sort of sounds cliche, but I'll use this example, you know, quality on sale. You know, some stocks are down 20, 30 percent, um, you know, maybe from the November, not year to date, you know, year to date. You know, some of these high quality businesses are down 10, 15, 20 percent. 
but from the November high, um, you know, some of them are on sale 33% off. And, you know, what does 33% off mean to me, or in some cases, 50% off, you know, if you can buy a shirt, um, you know, a shirt that goes for $100, if it goes on sale during Boxing Day, and you could buy it for $50, you know, you could buy two shirts. And, you know, if you're willing to look longer term, uh, and take that approach in the stock market, I believe that that's the true opportunity. And that's why I say volatility equals opportunity. You know, if you just think about a company, if it only had uh, 100 shares, and you owned one share, and if that one share went down by 50% because of, you know, all the things that are going on in the world, um, you know, can you actually use that, uh, deploy some capital and, you know, buy one more share in that company than you would own two shares? And, you know, there'll be more volatile periods. I'm not saying volatility is over. There's always volatility spikes. But over time, you know, taking the next 5, 10, 15 years, you slowly, slowly keep increasing dollar cost averaging into this business. And, you know, over time, if you can actually own five or 10% of this business, the business's earnings are growing, their cash flows are growing. Um, you know, that's how, you know, the rich become richer. And, uh, you know, this is the, the notion of capitalism and owning something for the long term uh, and owning a piece of a business that grows. Um, you know, that's how uh, a lot of wealth is created. And that's how uh, compounding works. Michelle, as always, we, we've covered a lot of ground today and there's, you know, there's, there's so much to think about and, and ultimately so many opportunities to take action on. Uh, also know, and for our listeners' benefit, you are a voracious reader and uh, always make great book recommendations. So what's on the reading list these days, especially in uh, the current climate? Yeah, so, you know, the book I actually have on the reading list these days, um, it's lights out. And I believe I sent it to everyone on the executive team at the company and the reason I send that out is, you know, some people, you know, they say, you know, Vishal, all you talk about is long-term, long-term, long-term investing. Um, and long-term doesn't always work. And that's why I like this book. Uh, so all you've heard me talk about uh, is long-term investing, long-term investing works. If you own a piece of business, over time it does well. But the reason I recommend Lights Out is you got to buy the right business. And so Lights Out is the book I'm re recommending. And Lights Out is a book about GE. And so GE uh, actually did extremely well, uh, and then it actually, you know, you could make a case, has done extremely poorly, has not compounded well. But GE at one point was the bellwether, uh, one of the largest companies, could do no bad. Um, but so the notion and why I bring this up and why I'm recommending the book's lights out is earlier I mentioned the idea of management teams, capital allocation, brands and pricing power, returns on capital, growth, durability. You know, the book uh, shares a lot about uh, the different management teams, the philosophy around capital allocation, bad M&A. So look, when I say that long-term compounding works, long-term capitalism works, it works, um, but it works with the right assets. It works with the right companies. Um, you know, it's definitely worked with Apple, but look, it didn't work with GE. And, you know, there's a lot of Canadians uh, that are going to be listening today. It hasn't worked with BlackBerry either, right? So there are examples, um, you know, whether it's GE or BlackBerry. So this idea of business failure, uh, I believe there's a lot to learn from business failure. Uh, but my job as portfolio manager is uh, to avoid business failure and to find business failure early. And look, there's probably businesses that we own right now, um, you know, that are not actually going to be uh, around 5, 10, 15 years and it's going to be my job uh, to figure out what businesses uh, are going to succeed and do well and which uh, aren't. And, you know, uh, dynamic funds, you know, we talk about active management, but, you know, that's what active management means to me. And, you know, I did want to end on one thing. Um, you know, we didn't talk about uh, this idea of founder-led businesses and entrepreneurs, but the reason I bring it up and how it's related to the, the chat today, 
um, you know, some of these, you know, I got the Bloomberg Billionaire Index in front of me. And, you know, look, you look at Larry uh, Page, Sergey Brin, um, you know, you see some of these billionaires, you know, Bill Gates, you know, they made their money, you know, whether it's in Google and Microsoft, um, but they didn't do it timing the market. You know, they held on to that business. They held it on for the cycle. Uh, and this is why I'm recommending uh, that you own businesses long term. You take that longer term approach. You know, don't try to call markets. Don't try to time markets. Uh, time in the market, not timing the market. But, you know, this is why I like those founder-led businesses. This is why I like those entrepreneurs. Uh, because if you can co-invest with them, you know, they're thinking uh, multi-generational. And so this idea of multi-generational uh, wealth creation uh, is something I spend a lot of time on, especially uh, as a fiduciary of uh, client capital. Well, Michelle, as always, really appreciate your insights. You've unpacked a lot here for all of our listeners. And, you know, I think the one thing you touched on more than anything was whether we're talking about growth or value or investment styles, all of it has to be evaluated in the context of, you know, an individual investor's time horizon and the amount of volatility and risk that they can endure, but most importantly, that they take it with a long-term view overlay. So I wanted to thank you for your time and your insights and appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Mark, and thanks for having me on. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us in another edition of On The Money. And on behalf of all of us at Dynamic Funds, we wish you continued good health, safety, and peace as we move through the balance of 2022. Thanks again for joining us. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.